Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. You truly can't love anyone more than your willingness to love yourself. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another fascinating episode of Dates and Mates. Today, we are continuing with our Summer Encore series. Once upon a time, I did a special online summit with some of the top love experts in the world, and that was just available to my VIPs and subscribers. For over five years, these conversations have been locked away. But today, I'm sharing a very special interview with the amazing matchmaker, Paul Carrick Brunson. I don't have to tell you that finding a match can be difficult. A lot of pieces have to come together. Are you physically attracted? Do you share goals and values? Do you feel heard? Are you understood? But what if I told you that these things were actually the second step in the dating process? I know, I know. You're like, say what, Demona? How can there be a step before I even meet someone? <laughs> well, sit tight, because Paul Carrick Brunson of Married at First Sight UK will share his top four factors when it comes to meeting your match. Paul is a matchmaker, television host, columnist, and he's also the host of the podcast Better with Paul, where he shares his journey in business, life, and love. You can learn more about Paul by visiting his website, paulcbrunson.com, and you can follow him on Instagram at paulcbrunson, B-R-U-N-S-O-N. Before we get into the conversation, a quick note. At the top of this interview, I mentioned that I want Paul to share his expertise to help women find their match, but I want to emphasize that the knowledge he's about to share is valuable to people of all genders and orientations, so keep listening. Oh, and since we recorded this for a different subscriber series, the sound quality will be a little different from the podcast. Even so, the information was too good to keep locked away in the vault. So please enjoy this Summer Encore series with my friend, Paul Carrick Brunson. That was it. You did it. That was I did it. You did it. You did all that stuff. <laughs> it's always wild to, uh, you know, listen to someone read your bio. But yeah, I was like, yeah, it was, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So you yes. accomplished a lot, Mr. Brunson. So uh, that's why I wanted you to be here today because you, you have such a wealth of knowledge, not just as a matchmaker, but as a, a lifestyle coach, as an entrepreneur. And Paul, I want to really do a deep dive for everyone to talk about what are the top four factors that will help the women listening to identify their right match. So the the first factor that you talk about, Paul, in identifying your right match is belief. Can you talk a little bit about how belief factors in to that decision making? Sure. You know, belief is everything. And this stretches well beyond just our romantic relationships. Just like you were saying, Demona, like really what we're talking about is interpersonal relationships. And so that stretches beyond romantic, right? That's business, that's platonic. But belief is everything. Your mindset is everything. You know, what you believe, you truly do conceive. And the things that you don't believe, you never get, you never realize. And so with, uh, you know, seven years deep into matchmaking, the one key element that I've noticed is, you know, around success. Uh, and success, by the way, doesn't mean that you get married or it doesn't mean that you start dating. It just means that you start enjoying dating. But the number one key element around success has been just simply the belief system. And the best example I can give is you mentioned I live in Washington, D.C. 
We get clients all the time from Washington, DC, New York, LA. And like clockwork, you'll have a client that comes through the door and says, you know what, Paul, DC is the worst place to find a man, right? It's nobody's here. You know, it's so transient. Like this is the worst place on the planet to find a man, right? It's the worst place to date. It's just terrible. And then that same afternoon, we'll get someone that says, Paul, you know what? DC is so great to date. There's so many new people that come in every day. Like it's this incredible place. I love it. I meet all these different people. Same place, right? Roughly the same characteristics of the clients, but yet they have two totally different outlooks. And so belief in our mindset is truly everything. And it sounds very cliche to say this, but if you actually walk into the process believing that the process is going to yield for you, believing that you know, there's a light at the end of the road, believing that you're going to meet success, however you determine success, well, then I believe you'll actually meet success. But if you believe that it's not there for you, that success won't happen for you, then I don't, I believe that it won't happen for you. And that applies to every aspect of life as well as love. I totally agree with you. And I working with clients all over the world, it's really funny how I hear that from women literally all over the world. Oh, Sydney, Australia is the worst place to date. Los Angeles is the worst place to date. Denver, Colorado is the worst place to date. And you're so right that your belief becomes your reality. So for those listening who may have identified with some of what you said and maybe have realized that they've said those same things about their own city or about their own dating life, do you have any suggestions on ways that they can shift their belief system if it needs a, um, a refresh at this point? I believe that our belief system is shaped by all of the content that we consume. So that content could be what we're watching on television, what we're listening to on the radio, you know, who we're sitting next to at work and what they're saying. Uh, the people who we spend the most time with, all of these people, right, they create content, they create data, and that data enters our minds and it shapes whether or not we believe. A large part of our belief system, I also you know, research shows us is actually based on the interactions that we had with our parents and whether or not we actually saw a healthy love growing up. And so at the end of the day, what we can do to help to modify our belief system is just to change the content that we consume, right? And so the most important thing that we can do is surround ourselves with not just people, but with content that's inspirational, aspirational, and hope-filled opposed to hopeless. And so one of the things that you know we do with our agency all the time is we do a literal content audit where we'll look at, okay, well, what content do you consume? Even if it is, you know, for example, you know, someone may be watching this and say, well, you know what, I I, I kind of consume like good stuff. I read, you know, TD Jakes, like, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I go to church on Sundays. But when you start to look at, okay, well, what sites do you visit the most? Uh, you know, are they gossip sites? You know, who are you following most on Twitter and Instagram? And what are those images that you're consuming? So at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to do a content audit and see what we're consuming. And if the vast majority of it is inspirational, aspirational content, well, we're on the right path. But if the vast majority of it isn't, then we're not. And this is also why it's important that we have to realize that sometimes we have to fire friends, right? Sometimes it's the friends that are giving us, uh, you know, this bad content. A bad outlook on life. And sometimes we have to fire friends. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what you want to do when you want to think about in terms of your belief system is you want to keep your standards so high that 
it's difficult and challenging for anyone to get content into your life, right? And if you keep those standards high, you'll, you'll ultimately live the highest quality of life. That's great advice. And I think sometimes people don't even realize the messages that are coming to them every day. And, you know, you, you have your social network on, on Facebook and maybe people are complaining about something or, you know, trying to drag you down into the depths with them, but you have a choice. I think sometimes people forget. So the second factor, Paul, um, on the four, four, four ways to identify your right match is self-love. Talk to us about that. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, some people watching may say like, technically, Paul, belief system can be driven through uh, your ability to self-love and also through self-esteem. And I, I completely agree. But I like to make the two uh, completely distinct because I think that they each carry so much weight in our decisions around partnering with someone and finding someone. So self-love to me is just simply about feeling like you could become your ultimate self. Like that's ultimately it. You know, I think there's a lot of confusion between self-esteem and self-love. Like they're two totally different things. Self-esteem is actually a component of self-love. So you can have high self-esteem in your career, right? But you could not have self-love. Now, how is that? You know, that what that means is that, you know, if you think of what a 10 is on a scale from one to 10, what is the greatest career you can have? If you feel like you're just on the pathway to becoming that 10, to realizing the greatest career that you can ever have. Well, that means you have high self-esteem with regard to your job, with regard to your career. But if we begin to slice out certain elements of your life, career, maybe spirituality, family, health, finances, like we go around that circle. If any of those areas are lacking, if you don't believe you can become your optimal self in any one of those areas, then you don't unconditionally love yourself because unconditional self-love is the aggregate of all of those areas. And so ultimately self-love is everything when you think about finding another partner because you truly can't love anyone more than your willingness to love yourself. And that's me speaking as a parent, right? I have two boys that I'm infatuated with, but I realize that I can't love my boys more than I love myself. Right. The moment that I stop loving myself, right, the moment that I start disrespecting myself, the moment that I do all of these things to myself, I'm doing that to my boys plus. Some. So at the end of the day, what we have to realize here is that self-love truly is everything. It's not just a cliche. It's everything with regards to your uh, romantic, your business, your platonic relationships. And so you really have to work on your self-love first before you work on trying to love someone else. It's good advice. How can we create that self-love? If, if maybe, maybe you grew up in a household, not you, but people listening, <laughs> grew up in a household where they, they weren't taught how to love themselves or they were not given love from their parent. So they don't even really have the model for it. What do you say to someone that's in that situation that doesn't even know where to begin with, with this self-love principle? I define romantic love as one part friendship, one part intimacy, and one part commitment. I believe if you have commitment, you have intimacy, and intimacy, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean sex. It's just a level of closeness. But if you have commitment, you have intimacy, you have friendship, you have romantic love. So the first thing to acknowledge is that it's a journey, 
right? You can't watch a YouTube video. You can't, you know, don't let anyone trick you into, you know, like one coaching session to think that you're going to automatically start loving yourself. It's a journey. It's a never ending journey. But how do you begin on the pathway to that? Well, there's several ways. I would, you know, just right off the gate, let me just recommend two. One, identify someone who can be a love mentor to you. Now, the idea of mentorship seems very common when we think about business or we think about athletics, right? We think about, uh, you know, um, even spirituality. But when it comes to love, we sometimes forget that, yes, there are love mentors. I've had a love mentor in my life since I was about 19 years old. So you want to have someone in your life who walks the talk, right? Someone who you can respect type of romantic love that they're engaged in, right? So I think that's the first part is identify a love mentor, which I understand is challenging, but hey, anything that is going to be worth anything in your your life is going to be challenging to obtain. So go out and find a love mentor, right? That's one thing that we can do. The second thing that we can do is really evaluate all of those slices that I were, uh, that I was just talking about. And I would say for everyone, you know, think about your business, you know, your, your career, you think about family, think about your health, right? Think about your spirituality and think about, you know, your social life. And then just simply ask yourself, you know, do I feel like I'm on the pathway to becoming my best self in each of those categories? If the answer is no in any one of those categories, well, then start to examine well, what's the roadblock? What's the hurdle preventing me from becoming my optimal self in that category? And what, whatever it is, start to come up with a plan and a strategy to get through it. And what you'll find is that as you come up with that plan and strategy and you begin to execute it, that at the end of the day, you will begin to feel as if you are progressing. And if you feel like you can progress to your optimal self, ultimately, you really realize that self-love. So it's one part, you know, this exercise and really focusing on yourself. And that takes time to do, right? Weeks and months to do. The other part is, hey, find people in your life that are representing true, strong, healthy, romantic love, and then go out here and emulate it. In terms of love mentors, you want to ideally, I think if you have a structured relationship with someone, it's, it's always you know, more effective. But you could jump on the Instagram. You could jump onto your Instagram, right? You could jump onto, you know, the Instagram of, of, of many people out here or the Facebook or whatever, people who you share values with, and you could see actually how they depict the story of love through images, through content. That's mentorship in a way, right? And so there are many ways that we can obtain mentorship. We just, the more, most important thing is we have to go after it. We, we got to get busy. <laughs> well, that concept is totally revolutionary. And I, honestly, it seems so simple, but I, I think it's something that a lot of people are not doing. That idea of having a love mentor and someone that, that you're patterning your love life after. And the other thing that you mentioned is, is like a key element that, that I always talk to my clients about having a plan. What's your plan to find your man? Because uh, I feel like sometimes there's this idea that if you have a focus on your love life, or if you if you vision and plot out how you're going to get there, that it takes the romance, it takes the spontaneity, or that it's desperate. Right. And I'm glad that we're we're just busting that myth 
wide open. It's you have a plan it means you have a goal and that you have a roadmap together. Absolutely. The, the fear of looking thirsty keeps a lot of people single. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's not about thirst. What it is is about being smart, right? In our jobs, you know, which is I think the easy way to kind of equate things because so many of us are out here, you know, ambitious folks, is that you think about like more people vet their career and spend time in self-development on their career than they do on themselves, right? Or in vetting their partner. And it really should be the opposite because, you know, I, I agree with what a lot of people say, Cheryl Sandberg in particular in her book, Lean In, around how your partner essentially is going to be the most important business decision that you make in your life, right? And so we need to get busy. We all need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of getting busy, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to the fourth factor in finding the right match. And you say that that is physical attraction. And I hear this a lot of times from ladies like, oh, he has all the qualities that I'm looking for, but I'm just not physically attracted to him. I'm just not feeling that, that chemistry. Right. So um, how do you define uh, being compatible on that physical attraction level? Yeah. So all right, now, now physical attraction definitely would be my number three on the list. And physical attraction is interesting because there's a lot of debate around it. And, you know, I know there's a lot of experts in this, in the space who don't necessarily believe that physical attraction is necessary in order to, you know, move through in a relationship. And the only thing that I can speak on is I can speak on, you know, my experience, uh, and not just in my marriage, you know, 15 years, but in my experience working with literally over a thousand clients and seeing all of the data that comes in through the agency, I literally consult and advise some of the biggest online dating sites and dating apps in the world, right? And I see all of this data come in. And ultimately, the data is very, very clear. And that is, is that if there is not a minimal level of physical attraction early in the relationship, and typically when I say early in the relationship, I'm talking about, you know, in the first you know, your first time meeting the person, right? 30 minutes, hour, two hours. If there's not just something, just a hint of something there, chances are everything else will not matter. The matching of values, the complement of personality, like all chances are it's not. Now, out of, you know, 1,000 cases, are, are, you know, do you get the one where, it, yes, it works? Yeah, absolutely. But in the 999 other cases, There needs to be something minimally there. Now, this gets into your exact question, which is, well, what is physical attraction? Now, physical, you know, you could be, someone could be attractive, but you're not physically attracted to that person. So I say that physical attraction is, for the most part, like this is a very simple definition, but it's really three parts, right? It's about how the person looks, right? And so physically, like when you look at them, how do they look? And a lot of that is driven off of symmetry. A lot of that is driven off of characteristics that we have found compelling over the years, especially if you look at, you know, your, your, you know, your mother, your father, et cetera. So one part of it is that another part of it is the actual sound of their voice, the flow of the, uh, the cadence of their voice, right? Their, 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 the, 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 the movement, like all of these almost verbals, but nonverbals, but things that don't necessarily attach to their physicality. Right. And then another part of it is the scent. Right. And the scent is very important 
And I would even add to the sentence, like the context of the situation. Uh, and that's something that we can go into later. But I've watched and I've read and I've, you know, done research studies on this and that physical attraction is very, very important right out the gate. And so the reason why I like to talk about this is because so many people, especially a lot of women, feel bad, right? Where they go out on that first date and they're like, oh, you know, he's such a great guy. Uh, you know, he's got his act together, you know, and their friends say, but he's such a great guy. And they don't want to say, but I'm not attracted to him physically, right? And they're, 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 they're in fear of saying it because it's going to make them look, oh, like, you know, you know, you can get over that, right? But no, 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 you can't get over that. I, I like to believe that the best way to determine if you should have a second date with someone is to first ask yourself, am I physically attracted to that person? And then secondly, did that person listen to what I had to say, right? If that person listened to what I had to say, there's a flow of communication, right? Not just did they hear me. Hearing, listening, two different things. Listening is critically hearing, right? So it's critically hearing. So if they listen to what I had to say and I'm physically attracted to them, that's pretty much what chemistry means in my book. That's what allows you to get to the next level. And the next level is, okay, let's bet out values and these other things, right? That takes time to, to, to determine. But out the gate, let's just see if they listen physically attractive. So physical attraction, very, very important in my book. And it's something that I really think that we, 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 should, we should stop shaming people for saying that physical attraction is, is important to them because it's important to 99.9% of us. I would add on to that, Paul, as well, in terms of identifying if someone is physically attractive to you. I think there's a lot of focus on what will other people think? Like, what, what will the wedding photo look like? What would other people say when I post this on social media? And I see so many women sabotage their relationships because they think other people would not find this person attractive or they have to like make excuses. Well, you know, he, he's a little bit overweight, but he treats me really well. Or, you know, I, well, I'm just really into guys that are tall and skinny. So I, I think there's, I'd love to also just add to that. Everything you said is totally right. And also add the, release the judgment of other people. If you find someone physically attractive, just go with it, right? Just go with it. Don't yeah, mind absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, it's different strokes for different folks. Everybody's got their thing. And I say, just own your thing. Own your thing. That's, that's good advice. So that brings us to our fourth point. And the fourth and final factor that will help you identify your right match, you say, is having shared values. Talk to us a little bit more about what that means to you. So values are everything to me. Values, you know, I define values as your rule book to life, right? It's how you lead your life. And the only reason why I have it as number four is not because it's less important. Like it's critical. All these are, are important. But I think this is the, almost the order in which these come in, in terms of finding your match, because ultimately your values are never what you say they are. It's only what you do. Your values are your actions. And typically your values are best witnessed in times of adversity. You know, when things get hard, what is your character when things get hard? Well, those are typically your values, right? And so I like to say that, you know, you need to have this belief system, right, to get into the game. And then you need to have self-love before you even begin anything. And then you want to have that shared physical attraction. That's key. In addition, with those, you then begin to watch values play out. 
And values are truly indicative of who someone is. And what's, what's almost funny to me is that we, like, we'll sit down and write what we think our values are, but our values are very similar to our brand or our reputation, right? It's never what we say. It is. It's only what everyone else says it is, right? So I may think of myself in one way, and I may think that I uh, have a certain belief system and do a certain, have a certain rule book to life. But Demona, whatever you say I do or don't do, that's, that's my brand, right? That is my brand. And so it's very important for us to do the work around values. And to do the work around values is you have to identify, right, what the marketplace, right, what people think of me. That, that is important to know. What do people think of you? What values do they believe that you have? And those people, by the way, are the people that you spend the most time with, right? Because so that could be coworkers, that could be friends, that could be family. So that's important. Secondly, is then to kind of assess all that information and prioritize and figure out what are the most important values that they say that I, you know, that I prescribe to. And then you want to go about either adjusting that if you don't agree with what you're seeing, or you want to continue to live those things out. And when I say live those things out, is that values are where you also, I believe, where you derive your happiness from. You know, so my values in particular, you know, my values are around family and religion and ambition and creativity. And ultimately, if I am not feeding those values, then I'm not happy, right? You know, forget feeling balanced. I don't think we can feel balanced. I think it's about prioritization. And so if I'm feeding those things, I always feel whole. But just to kind of bring it home around why this connects so importantly with with finding a match is that, you know, my wife, she shares those same values. And as adults, what we have to realize is that we can't change anyone, right? We can't, right? We, we don't have those abilities. You can't change anyone. So your partner needs to come to you already with the shared values. They need to come with you, come to you with those shared values, almost in the same order of priority. Because ultimately, if your values are your rule book to life, if you have someone in your life that can't live by the same rules as you, you guys are going to go crazy and somebody is going to end up getting kicked out, right? Like it's like the rules to, you know, living in this country, like you got to abide by the rules or you get locked up, right? And so ultimately, that's why values are so important because that's the only way that you could truly coexist with someone is if they share your same values. I completely 100% agree with you, Paul. And I, this is the first place I always start with my clients, identify what you believe and why you believe it. And asking that question, I think, is, is the first step in, in knowing what your values are and then how, how you're going to act upon them in the world. I'm so glad that you, you said that your values are not just what you say they are, but they're what, how you act and how you demonstrate those values in the world. And it's so important to leave people with the thought that people will show you who they are. You got to believe them the first time. So the way that someone acts towards the waitress, the way that they approach you for a date, all of that adds up to who they are and what their values are. And too many times I see women making excuses when they know from the from the beginning point that someone might not share their values, that I'm glad that you're empowering them to to honor that and to to look for that when they're seeking out the right match. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Paul. 
You can learn more about Paul by visiting his website, paulcbrunson.com, and you can follow him on Instagram. In fact, actually, you should follow him on Instagram at paulcbrunson, B-R-U-N-S-O-N, and check out his podcast, Better with Paul. I hope you're enjoying this summer Encore series. I'll be back again next week with another special Encore episode. Until then, I wish you happy dating.